Welcome to Crime and Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we do be sipping on the same coffee. Veronica is officially moved, but we making this work. She has Duncan at home, right? <laughs> yeah. Duncan at home. So I went to Duncan and I got me some coffee. So we'd be sipping on the same thing. What you sipping on? Fan behavior. Uh, it's hazelnut. Oh, so you just get like the hazelnut pods? No, the the actual coffee grounds. Oh, yum. Yeah, because I put it in our little, we have a little thing with the scooper. It says coffee. Oh, fancy house decor. We love cute, the move. <laughs> Don't have a couch, but we have shit like that. I love that. That stuff's more important anyway. You know, you can sit on the floor. I went to Duncan because I don't have that at home. I don't have a cute coffee scooper, but I got a cold brew with oat milk and caramel. So that's what I get everywhere I go. Yeah, you're a big caramel girl. I just like it. I grew up drinking hazelnut and I think I just drank so much hazelnut that now every time I get it, it just tastes funky to me. It's not the same. I get that. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to one of my BFFs, Emily. She bought us a million coffees. So thank you so much, Emily. We will be sipping with your contributions. And I love you. She's a new mom. So everybody give lots of hugs and kisses to the new baby boy. And yeah, thank you so much, Emily. If you can hear thunder right now, it is because... Wow, that was loud. I know. It's getting really... It's kind of bad right now. But there's a giant storm hitting my house as we speak. And it's so loud and the thunder is so big that my entire house is shaking. So I apologize for that if you can hear it. Um, wait, before I forget, if you guys, well, okay, please give us copy recommendations because we're running out of ideas and we just, we need something that's easy to ship so that we can both get it. True. But please give us coffee ideas. We want to find more places to follow. Um, yes. It doesn't matter if it's like in Tampa or in Chicago, that would be cool, but wherever. So do you have any true crime updates for us? I know last episode, your brain was way too frazzled for it, but I saw some things in the news. <laughs> so I'm curious if you have some yes. updates. You do? I do. I have two little updates. Perfect. Let's hear it. Idaho prosecutors are seeking the death penalty for Chad Daybell. And death on death penalty. I'm saying... And obviously that's for Tylee and JJ. And so his pre-trial conference will be on September 30th. And then uh, the trial starts in November. So it's going to be a minute till we find out what happens with him. But my other news is that Lori Vallow has a new public defender who just so happens to be one of the few death penalty certified attorneys. I'm assuming she knows that they're going to get her with death penalty charge as well. So she's preparing. Don't prepare too much, girly, because you want to get the death penalty because <laughs> death's on death penalty. All right. Well, thank you for that little update. Today we're going to be going over the murder of Donna Winger. And that's it, sounds, it sounds like you're doing like a slideshow when you just you were like, <laughs> next slide. Donna Winger was born on November 10th, 1963 to Sarah Jane and 
Cash Brown. So her name was Donna Brown originally, and she was born in Hollywood, Florida. A Florida girl. She's a Scorpio. Wow, Scorpio energy. My husband's a Scorpio. (laughs) Mark Winger was born on November 26, 1962, to Jared and Sally Winger in, oh God, you're going to have to help me with this one, Elyria, Ohio? Elyria. Elyria, Ohio. Okay. It just reminds me of... Good job. Thank you. It reminds me of... She's the man. She's the man. Yeah. Elyria. Welcome, 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 welcome. I think that is literally my favorite movie of all time. Oh my God, me too. I'm not even kidding. That just type, that era of movies was so good. like Iconic. Oh my god. Sleepover and comedy like, gold. You know? Okay, you're gonna put sleepover in that. Anyway. anyway. Rant over. <laughs> After Mark and Donna Winger were married in 1989, he was offered a position in Springfield, Illinois. So they moved and settled in as newlyweds. Donna was working as an operating room technician, and he was a nuclear engineer. So very smart. Okay. Yes. Her stepfather, Ira Drescher, said Donna couldn't have been happier. The only thing was she would like to have children. Donna's mother, Sarah Drescher, said her daughter was overwhelmed when she learned that she actually could not get pregnant. But one day while she was working in the hospital, one of the doctors told Donna that a teenage girl was there and she was looking to put her baby up for adoption. So Donna came in and adopted the child. It was an easy decision for her. She was ready to go. Donna's sister, Michelle Hansen, told 20 for 20, she looked at me with tears and she said, Michelle, I knew it the minute they put the baby into my arms. She has always been mine. So I thought that was really sweet. She definitely was meant to be a mother, and this was just a great thing for her and her family. The Wingers welcomed baby Bailey into their home on June 1st, 1995. Donna's family said that the couple loved being parents. They seemed to have all the makings of a long and happy life together. So things were really looking up from the outside. Everything looked like the Wingers were an ideal couple. Everybody said they looked happy and things were just going really well for them. Donna had taken a 90-minute ride home from the St. Louis airport after a trip from Florida to visit her mom and stepfather with a shuttle driver named Roger (laughs) Harrington on the early afternoon of August 23rd, 1995. Apparently, the driver, Roger, he was kind of like psychotic, and he had given her a pretty hard time the entire ride. He was like annoying. He would talk about getting high, having orgies. He just, (laughs) he was very outlandish, and she said it just made her really, really uncomfortable. When she got home, she told Mark all about it, and it just kind of made her really uneasy. Yeah, I don't blame her. As Mark Winger would say, on August 29th, 1995, he was exercising in the basement when he heard a loud crashing thump coming from upstairs. 
He said his thoughts were frantically running. He was curious if Donna fell or did she drop the baby? So Mark rushed upstairs and ran to the master bedroom, checking on Bailey. He found her. She was safe. Everything was safe and sound. And he grabbed his gun before following the continued noises. Next slide. (laughs) (laughs) He then said he saw a man bearing a claw hammer hitting Donna over the head over (gasps) and over again. Mark claimed Yeah, I know. Mark claimed to have shot the intruder before immediately dialing nine one one. According to Sangamon County Assistant State's Attorney Steve Weinhoft, Harrington suffered two gunshot wounds and Donna was hit in the head with a hammer no less than seven times. Officer Beringer, knowing that the two would be taken in the ambulance, quickly located his Polaroid camera to secure body location photos. And in a matter of minutes, Donna and the intruder, which they went through his wallet, found out his name was Roger Harrington, were headed to the hospital via ambulance. The scene was being secured by Springfield Police Department. Arriving on the scene was homicide detective Charlie Cox. He knew from the looks of the victims that survival was virtually non-existent, and Mark was moved to the master bedroom for his interview with the police. And Mark was really worried most of the time that, which I thought was very weird, that he might be arrested for shooting Harrington. But the detectives kept saying, like, no, you're okay. You're the victim in this situation. Springfield Police Detective Doug Williamson, who did the initial interviewing, was the first one persuaded of Mark's innocence. But his partner, Detective Charlie Cox, said that he became suspicious when Mark kept showing up at the police station. It began happening a few months after the murders occurred when Mark came by the station to ask for his gun back. The two detectives then began to have serious thoughts that Mark had possibly committed these murders. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so the tables are turning. Detective Charlie Cox said, I released the gun back to Mark, and we sat and talked for about a half an hour. He wanted to know how the case was going, and as far as I was concerned, he should have just accepted that it was closed. Although Mark would deny it, Charlie Cox also remembered him dropping by a second time to say he was getting remarried. Oh no, this guy's sus. Okay, but also, why would you go to the police station to let the detectives on your wife's murder case know that you're marrying your daughter's nanny. Detective Charlie Cox said he just kept coming in. I kept feeling like he was trying to find out if we were checking into anything. I went back to Doug and said something's wrong here big time. But the police said they later developed evidence that Harrington was set up as part of Mark Winger's plan to murder his wife. Also, the evidence discovered that Roger Harrington's car had a possible appointment for 4.30 that afternoon with Mark Winger and his wife, Donna. So very strange that it was supposed to be that Roger was an intruder and broke into the house, but now we're seeing that Roger was brought to the house. He had an appointment there. That's why he was there. Yeah, so he really was set up. Damn. Mm-hmm. Poor Roger. I know, but the case is closed at this point. So Roger Harrington's family was 
really unhappy with this. They weren't buying the story. They wanted more information. Barbara Howell, which is Roger Harrington's sister, she said she knew her brother better than that. And she stated to detectives that he was not physically capable of murdering somebody. She even pleaded and begged, but the detectives were like really rude to her. And she received remarks like, ma'am, anytime you want to know how your kid brother walked in that home, snapped and killed that woman, come by my office and I'll show you step by step. So obviously the police are not willing to work with Roger Harrington's sister and see if there's possibly another way, even though they're kind of suspicious about it. Barbara Howell, Roger's sister, was not the only one who thought this. So, as I said, Detective Cox was certain that Mark was correct and that the events happened the way they happened. Roger was the one who came in the house, killed his wife. But this is what I was talking about. Detective Williamson, he was he was having some doubts here. He said the one thing that just kept bothering him was a note found in Roger Harrington's vehicle. It said that he had a pre-planned appointment at the house. Like I said. It's getting juicy now. Yes, but Roger also showed up to the house without a weapon. Oh. Hmm. Something just didn't add up to Detective Williamson. He even went to the chief of police and was turned down. He said the investigation was closed with the evidence that they had, and that was that. They weren't going to explore it any further. So now we're going to get into some of the evidence because clearly we need to take a look into this evidence and see for ourselves, is Detective Charlie Cox on the right path? And is the case really just cut and dry? Roger came in, murdered Donna. Or is there something a little more suspicious happening? And did Detective Williamson call it? Um, I mean... Not trying to pick sides or anything, but I'm going to go with the ladder. Okay, Okay, yeah. Pick a side, any side. I'm staying in the middle on this one. I need the evidence first. (laughs) Okay, okay. Give us the evidence. All right. So, at the start of the trial, all of the forensic evidence, including DNA samples and the video interviews by Mark, were introduced in the case. Also introduced the post-it reminder in Roger Harrington's car of the planned meeting between the cab driver and the Winger family. There was also dispatch documents for the airport shuttle service for, you know, that's where Roger Harrington worked. And there was also recorded conversations between Mark Winger and the driver. So do you pick a side now? No. (laughs) There were also, as I said earlier, the three Polaroid photos that had been taken of the victims at the crime scene, which actually disproved Mark Winger's testimony of a struggle between him and Roger Harrington. So this is where things got a little fishy. Yikes. Yeah, because we got evidence, y'all. So the murder weapon, a gun detectives had believed was Mark Winger's, and he used that to shoot and kill Roger Harrington. And then the hammer that Mark Winger had alleged that Roger Harrington had used to bludgeon Donna. Now that they have all of this information, this is their new theory. They said he actually lured 
Roger Harrington to his home, shot and killed him before taking a hammer and beating his wife to death. Whale, whale, whale. Donna's best friend, who had been having an affair with Mark for years. Oh, damn. Yes, Deanne Schultz. This is where she appears. CBS News reported that Deanne Schultz confessed to having an affair with Mark Winger before Donna's death, and he had told her that he actually wanted to kill Donna, or at least he wanted Donna to die so he could get out of the marriage. Why is that always the only way? Yeah, why are you going to tell not only her best friend, but your mistress that you want her to die so you can get out of your marriage? It's like number one red flag. Authority said he's the perfect guy to seize on to make it look like an intruder had come in and killed his wife. So there's another sign pointing to it. So earlier, you know how I said, well, literally just a few minutes ago, I said that Mark Winger had told Deanne that he wanted Donna to die so that he could get out of his marriage. Well, he actually tried to (laughs) solicit Deanne in like a murder plot. To murder her best friend. (laughs) How? Absolutely ridiculous. Deanne said that some other comments that were made were, it would be better if she died. So, this new information allowed authorities to reopen the case and investigate Mark Winger, which ultimately led to his murder trial and conviction. Thank the Lord. Again, they had the photos of the bodies that weren't consistent with his story. They also identified that the blood spatters made it pretty clear that Mark was the one who had the gun and the hammer, making him the only assailant. So Mark framed an innocent man and got away with murder for a small period of time. So during the trial... The evidence against him included not just testimonies from Deanne Schultz, paramedics, blood spatter analysis specialists, and friends and family members, but it also had phone recording conversations and a bunch of other things. So let's get into it. This guy really did not care if he got caught. Like <laughs> He did not, you know, <laughs> he didn't go over his tracks very well here. <laughs> The findings with the Polaroid pictures that we've been discussing over and over again were that Roger Harrington's body was laying 180 degrees opposite of what Mark described in his initial statement. So the blood spatter specialist, which how do you become one of those? And I would like to be one. Forensic science major. Okay, well, I'm going back to school then because that's so cool. (laughs) What do you do? I examine blood spatters. Yeah, specialist in the spattering of blood. I love it. Any hoozles and whatzels. The blood spatter specialist showed that Roger was laying face down as he was initially shot in the rear top of his head. The next blood pool was consistent with Roger being flipped over onto his back before the final gunshot went into his forehead. So that would make no sense. How would he flip himself over? <laughs> like, unless Mark, unless Mark was like, oh, I shot him once. I'm going to go flip him over and shoot him. <laughs> so dumb. Next, they noted that Donna's clothing didn't show any signs of blood spatter consistent with Roger Harrington being shot 
as he stood atop of her. So that was what the whole story was. He walked in. Mark saw Roger over his wife's body. And apparently, the spatters on Donna's clothes were absolutely inconsistent with that. The specialist identified spots of Donna's blood on Mark's clothing consistent with Mark being the one who had the hammer. Roger Harrington's clothes did not show any trace of Donna's blood whatsoever. Oh, it's over for this guy. Right? You could have just had the blood spatter specialist go up there and cut this thing in half. Hey, y'all thought it was this? Splurt. <laughs> she, she went in there and she splurt, splatted. She gets no respect. I give her mad respect. On May 29, 2002, after three weeks of testimony and 13 hours of deliberation, a jury found Mark Winger guilty of first-degree murder of his wife, Donna, and Roger Harrington. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole for the murders. It took six and a half years for the case to finally make it to trial. Isn't that wild? Listen to this, sugar bee. In 2006, Mark Winger, who was then 48, was... Was what? Was what? (laughs) Was indicted for attempting to hire a fellow prisoner to commit another murder for him. Oh my gosh. Yes. He doesn't learn. He showed down. He's just a murdering fool. So Mark Winger allegedly tried to get Pontiac prison inmate Terry Hubble, who was 44 at the time, to arrange the murder of, of course, Deanne Schultz, who sold him out. And a childhood friend of his, Jeffrey Gelman, who was like a wealthy real estate developer living in Florida. Also, I don't know. I found more sources saying that Jeffrey Gelman was the second person that he was trying to get somebody to kill. But in a few other sources, they said that Mark Winger was trying to get somebody to kill his father-in-law, Ira Drescher. Oh, my gosh. more, more of the sources said Jeffrey Gelman, so we're going to go with Jeffrey Gelman. But apparently, to some people, Ira Drescher was in that, too. So, this is what inmate Terry Hubble was going to do. Well, first of all, he was serving time for the murder of a 14-year-old girl. So, he was going to help or do this crime for Mark Winger. He was going to arrange for a hitman to kidnap Jeffrey Gelman who was on this hit list, apparently, because he wouldn't post the million-dollar bail in the county case. Then he was going to obtain a large ransom in exchange for not harming his family. Uh As time progressed, however, the ransom plot changed to murder of Jeffrey Gelman and Deanne Schultz. The ransom money that we spoke about was going to supposedly be used to pay the killer for the deaths of both of these people. The fallout of the plan resulted in another conviction for Mark Winger in June of 2007 for obviously solicitation to commit murder. And he was found guilty by a jury in Livingston County, Illinois. And on top of his already life sentence, he got a 35-year sentence. Nice. So now he has to be in there for a life in 35 years. Awesome. 
Yes. And I thought this was a good little quote. Ira Drescher, the father-in-law, said to Mark Winger in the murder for hire trial, Mark, your miserable life is over. Tell he him. got him. Burn. I couldn't find a very good profile on Mr. Mark Winger, but I did find a few little tidbits about like a categorization of a family annihilator kind of. And I also found some information from Davidson College professor Cynthia Lewis that kind of identifies a number of ways in which Mark's actions after the crime fit a pattern. So let's get into those first, and then we can get into the type of kind of family annihilator stuff that I found. In Monstrous Arrogance, Husbands Who Choose Murder Over Divorce, Davidson College professor Cynthia Lewis identifies a number of ways in which Mark Winger's actions after the crime fit a typical pattern. I'm just going to read them word for word for what she said, because she's the expert, not me. One, he used the 911 call as a means of setting up his alibi. He said, I found this man in my house. Winger told the operator he also claimed that his baby was crying as an excuse to get off the phone so he could shoot Roger Harrington again. Two, he visited the police to find out how the investigation was going, despite that he was not originally considered a suspect. Other wife killers have tended to check in with neighbors and family members to see what they know about the progress of the investigation. So she said he's basically fishing for clues about suspicion toward himself. Three, he capitalized on his loss to gain sympathy. Mark Winger took his sense of injury one step beyond emotional loss to financial gain. Indeed, he profited by Donna Winger's $150,000 life insurance payout. Wow. But he, yeah, I know. But even more pronounced about Winger and a major element tying together spousal murders that circumvent divorce is the arrogance he displayed by suing Harrington's company, the transportation company, which this is a move perhaps related to cultivating the image of a bereaved husband. So that is what Miss Cynthia Lewis said were his patterns, his crime fit patterns. Those are all very logical and make a lot of sense. As for the possible categorization of a family annihilator, obviously you know that he clearly premeditated this and planned to kill his wife. Um, I found some information from a psychology profiles of murderous fathers document, and I feel like Mark Winger can kind of be categorized as a disappointed offender. It said that <laughs> clearly he'd be disappointed because he was like not happy in his marriage. He was cheating. He clearly said that he he wanted her dead instead of divorce, but. Disappointed offenders were driven by a combination of family breakdown and financial distress. Family breakdown was the primary motive in 33% of these cases, and financial distress was the primary motive of 66. The most prevalent features in these cases are separation and domestic violence. Multiple cases involved custody battles, and the offender had mental illness. 
All of these offenders used shooting as their sole method of murder, and all offenders committed suicide after their offense. So this part of it, I don't obviously agree with, and which mm-hmm. makes me think obviously he's not super fitting into this category. He didn't com- he didn't commit suicide, but there are little parts of reading about you know the disappointed offenders that makes me feel like he kind of fits that mold. What do you think? That he, I mean, I don't think he needs to have every single exact characteristic. So I think as much of what he fits of that, and I like the name. (laughs) Disappointed killers is what they're called. (laughs) I know. I think it suits him. Me too. It said these are people who believe they have been let down by those around them, most often their partner. They may believe that they're not good enough or they are not meeting his standards or beliefs. So that was really hard to find a profile for him because when I looked into, you know, husbands that kill wives, nothing that I was reading really came to be. He doesn't have like a mental illness. He's not like schizophrenic Mm -hmm. or anything. He's not paranoid. He just wanted to have another life and he didn't want to be with Donna anymore. And he was financially motivated. Yeah, he cheated on her. He did have some financial gain from it. Um, He clearly wanted more financial gain because of the suing of the transportation company. So this was really the only thing that I could find that kind of fit more of the mold in terms of Mark Winger. That's all I got, man. All right. Well, that was the case of Donna Winger. I'm so sad for her. I'm so sad for her daughter. Me too. I'm I'm just sad. I'm so sad for Roger Harrington's family. Uh-huh. Because they were so... His sister was, like, a mess, as she should be. And she said, she said to those police, he didn't do it, and they didn't believe her. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Keep sharing. Keep posting stuff on your stories. Um, make sure you give us some coffee suggestions, please. And yes, thank you so much. more coffee. How are we going to have the crime without the caffeine? Exactly. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple and subscribe to us on Spotify. You can follow us on Spotify. That helps too. Um, Wherever you listen, just do what you've got to do to support your girls. Yes. And thank you again. 